chainsaw matinee everybody take your seats we have such sights to show you i'm kai i'm marty i'm hannah hi <laughs> hi hannah. hi hi happy halloween <laughs> yeah what, happy halloween you know, you know what's scary Sweet. and what you should pay ten dollars mm. to see at um my cabinet uh a guy who was yeah. asleep for 23 years. <laughs> exactly. He was asleep, but then he'll wake up. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> he'll wake up days. and tell you, you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I do love the, I don't want to call it a grift, but kind of a grift. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. This dude's kind of, like, of a snake oil salesman of, for like, real. Of like tiny <laughs> carnival shows. It's mm-hmm. very fun. The thing I like I, is that they see this I, gimmick through till the end. They're like, listen, we're going to grift you, but then we're going to make it so it happens so that it's not a grift. Like, we'll say when you're going to die, but then we'll kill you. So really, we're not the liars. You <laughs> got your money's worth. You're welcome. <laughs> sure. That's true. <laughs> uh, this <sighs> this is um, quite a classic. came out in 1920. This is The yeah. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Over- 100 years old yeah i just want to stress that again the medium of filmmaking has been around for well over 100 years Mm -hmm. which is pretty amazing and people were making really really cool films like this 100 years ago Mm -hmm. yeah which in the long run is not a long time ago but also if you think about it that's a lot of fucking time also really is and it's really (laughs) cool to see the films like this are still impacting our current culture today like obviously tim Mm -hmm. burton is a huge example of like the legacy this film has had with the the very german expressionism the very big eyes the very angular Mm -hmm. um sets the um see a lot of that the title cards yes go ahead sorry Oh, I was done. I was done. The title cards. Oh, okay. Tell us more. Oh, the well, the ti- the title cards remind me a lot of like mod stuff from the '60s. The way that like the the lettering and like the geometric shapes and like the texturing on it just looked very like um like the title cards from what I, what it reminded me of is like uh the Grinch cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> but oh, if it was like yeah. black. It, um. <laughs> I was inter- I was curious because we watched this and obviously those aren't the original original title cards because the original film was in German. Mm-hmm. Um but I was curious like oh I wonder if these are you know true to the original title cards or if it's something that someone drew up like years later. And it turns out no that is the style of the original title cards. Like yeah. even the original German ones so are like- in the same font. Yeah ahead of its time like in style and in everything really Mm -hmm. yeah and i've been wanting to talk about this movie basically ever since we started the podcast Mm -hmm. because i have a very strong interest in film history and this is one of the most impactful movies on film history Mm -hmm. in my opinion but i think that a lot of film professors would back me up so. Yeah. Oh yeah, we definitely studied uh. this in film history class when we went over yeah. German expressionism and the introduction of um well not introduction, I suppose there were more um artistic aesthetics that were going on in film with um mm-hmm. Oh, the I'm trying to remember the name of the German director um who went on to make Metropolis, but Oh, Fritz his Lang. Stuff. Yeah, yeah who, Fritz funny Lang. enough the writers of this film wanted Fritz Lang to direct it. And I think he was busy with another project and wasn't able to. Mm-hmm. But he yeah. helped consult with them, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Um, it totally yeah, makes like, sense to it, me. This is, it, what is interesting is this is not only such a revolutionary time period for film history. Like, you had a lot of amazing films 
coming out during the 1920s because they were starting to make so many innovations very quickly. Mm -hmm. But this is also just an interesting period of history in general because it's right between the two world wars. Uh, You just have so many changes happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, if you go on Wikipedia and look up any of the actors from this movie, all of them had like uh, very interesting lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, particularly Conrad Veet, who plays Cesare, um, he is actually one Christopher Lee's hero. Yeah. And he inspired a lot of Christopher Lee's performances. And he has had just, he had such a fascinating life. So he grew up, you know, became an actor in Germany and then... When the Nazi party started to rise to power, he fled to America with his wife, who was Jewish. And um, he began, like, speaking out against the Nazis and, like, doing charity. Um, One of his other most famous roles is the Nazi in Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And he said that, like, when once he came to America, he only wanted to play Nazis in American films because he wanted to, like, speak out against the Nazi party and make it known how bad that ideology is. Mm -hmm. And um, he did a lot of other stuff in his lifetime. He was just such a fascinating man. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, like, the director of this film also fled to america and um unfortunately murnau right no no that's the director of nosferatu yes Um, no yeah i can't remember off the top there's many of them from this time period and like specific area of europe that i'm like there there's a lot of well and a lot of them knew each other yeah together um i will say unfortunately the guy who plays caligari did go on to work with the Nazis and help them make films, which is not great, but could be expected if you're watching a movie from 1920s Germany. You're like, yeah, some of these people probably went on to become Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. The Um, director was um, Robert Weiner. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, So just giving, like, that cultural context, which I do think needs to be considered when you talk about this film... Well, and it's, it gives such an, I feel like there there's such a different angle to this one, because I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, before this, a lot of horror movies were very creature-influenced. We got Nosferatu. Um, I can't actually remember Nosferatu many. Nosferatu actually came out. This was one of the first ones. Yeah, Nosferatu came out after this and was mm-hmm. inspired by this one. So, Well, I showed uh, my one of the ass. earlier. Hello. Take my <laughs> no, film degree. <it's... laughs> no, well, there, okay, there's read... a lot going on within the 10 years from the yeah, 20s to the 30s. I also so... read like extensively on Wikipedia before we started recording. So Hooray. all of this is fresh in my mind. Um, good, good. I want accurate so... information. So I'm going to defer to you. Before this movie, I would say like the most prominent horror film was um, Georges Millier made a horror film. And he's the guy who did like A Trip to the Moon. And all of his movies are very fantastical with big backdrops and um very artistic the i I do i think there was like a phantom of the opera adaptation that came out before this too so there were horror films but honestly caligari was like one of the most prominent yes um and it's widely considered to be the first german expressionist film which i'll explain for people who did not go to film school German Expressionism was a movement that started in the 1920s, and um, it's very, as the title says, expressionist, where you're, it's all about the emotions and the feelings of the artist or of the characters in the film. So before this, there's always kind of been this duality in film of like, realism versus formalism so when you think about one of the very very first films ever made which is that video of the train leaving the station um the lumiere brothers who filmed that their idea of what filmmaking should be was more based in realism and like documentary like we're documenting real life because that again that idea was so new back then i mean you didn't have a realistic way to 
capture everyday life. Mm-hmm. It was and more. The, it was like it's a recording device, so why not use it to record things to remember later? Yeah, and then on the other side of that, you had Georges Méliès, who again tells these very fantastical stories and uses film as kind of a form of escapism. And uh, I think, you know, both of these ideas of what filmmaking should be are very valid. And I think, you know, they can both be true. Mm -hmm. Um, When you have a tool, there are many ways to use it. Exactly. But German expressionism definitely falls into the second category where it's like, okay, let's take this art form to a very abstract place and so all of the set designs are very angular and like the buildings oh are my kind God, of crooked I'm so in love with like, the sets in this movie God, it's so amazing the, and they the paint they painted the light on yeah, in these sets like, to make it so dramatic looking and it's they paint the shadows all the characters so makeup the like dr caligari's they like, makeup makes his face the, look so I, wrinkled all the time there's this like one specific shot of one of the guys that they arrested at the beginning of the movie and like they've like done his makeup so that he's got like these really like uh, he's got this like very like like his eyebrows um i'm like just his eyebrows are like so dramatic and like he looks so like angry and aged and like Mm -hmm. oh it's so good i it's so good yeah yeah i I think oh sorry go ahead Oh, it's okay. Um, you might have mentioned this, but like just after World War One, with the devastation that was going through Germany at the time, this was one of their ways to process that trauma with all these mm-hmm. these dark angles in this world that doesn't feel real. Because after like all of the horrific developments, everything just just seemed darker and more drastic, and you can really feel that mm-hmm. in this film and in the faces of everyone. Like joy is rare if at all presented like there may be one scene where two friends are talking and they kind of laugh and then the rest of it is just Mm -hmm. this melancholy that pervades the entire thing and it's i don't know that monkey at the at the fair that was (laughs) trying to bite people was was kind of funny i'm pretty sure that like monkey ended up biting one of the i'm sure i'm sure it's very funny but yeah i I think, like, if you have not seen this film, then, like you guys brought up earlier, the closest thing to compare it to would be a Tim Burton film, because mm-hmm. he's heavily inspired by this style. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you have not seen this film, I 100,000% recommend it. It is in the public domain. You can find it free on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a masterpiece. Just Google it and watch it, and then get back to us or not we can tell you the plot we're fixing to anyways <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely well and one thing that i noticed while watching that i'm i was very sad within myself is how easily distractible i am or easily fidgetable i am because like it is a silent film there you it requires all your attention and like it moves deliberately like it doesn't move slowly it's only an hour and 15 minutes but like mm-hmm it does require a certain appreciation. That's the same like runtime of creep. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it requires a certain amount of appreciation where, like, I almost felt like I was going to an art museum at times where I was just, like, soaking in the image mm-hmm. and, like, processing how it felt. So, yeah. like, don't go into the, this the thing about like, a rip-roaring, uh, non-stop onslaught of action. Although there are moments where when the action is dramatic, it's incredibly effective because most of the time it is mm-hmm. it is just letting you soak in this atmosphere. Yeah. The 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 films of like this time period, especially because they didn't have audio, they had to uh like put everything that they were trying to get into the image, basically. And that very much shows with this like they put all of this emotion into the makeup and the staging and the way that these characters move and and the backgrounds and like the lighting and like all of it like they couldn't rely on voices they just had to do it through the image and they 
it's just amazing to me how much that they can do with that. And I mean, like, we can still do that now, but, like, the limitation of not having the audio is just, like, I don't know. Have, doing what you can with what you have is always impressive to me. It is. And one of the things I loved about this film is... Even though it's in black and white, the film was tinted. So, mm-hmm. like, different scenes mm-hmm. are painted a different tint. Like, some are green or Yeah, so nighttime, blue. it's like it's like a green-blue kind of a teal almost. And then in the daytime, it's more yellow. And that's really cool. I yeah, love that a lot. it kind of helps influence the mood of each scene. Mm-hmm. So I really, mm-hmm. really loved that. And I'm sure, I think there are a few colorized versions out there, but Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I think it works really well in black and white because you have so much stark imagery and like, I don't think I'd want to see a colorized version. Yeah. I just don't know what you would be able to get out of that. Honestly, I'd be curious for the experiment of it just to have it for contrast. But yeah, I do love the black and white. I feel like it is very... Mm-hmm. It adds to the mood of the piece. One other thing I want to shout out, yeah. and I know there's no official soundtrack to this film, but one thing I used to love studying was um, film scores to silent movies because they would used to record it with a symphony orchestra to kind of help add to the emotion of the image and kind of keep people's attention with some kind of sound. And either they yeah. would have a local band at their cinema kind of play along with it or they would later develop records that they could play along with it which is why i kind of miss the days when um, going to a movie theater was much more of like an artistic experience of like the people who work at the theater also have an impact on the experience you have and they still do but back then it was more Mm -hmm. um hands-on and stuff like that like i think the music was composed by timothy brock giuseppe beck and Albert Band, and more, again, there's a lot, since it's so old, there is a lot of contention mm-hmm. about who composed it. And, of course, it's changed over the years. Uh, the version mm-hmm. I listened to on YouTube had, like, uh, electric guitars and synths and um <laughs> That's kind of cool. That it, just, was, it did sound That reminds really me cool. of, um, <laughs> when I was in high school, we, we had a movie club, and, um, like, we would watch um like silent films but we would like mute the original audio on whatever we were watching and just turn on like metal music and it, it just like made it like such a different experience but it all it, it also enhanced it a little bit we did that with metropolis and my mind was blown oh that's so cool <laughs> yeah that is amazing and they still do that out here they have like showings of lord of the rings with like a full orchestra or they have pirates of the caribbean just ones with like very iconic uh, film scores i would kill to they did that with like back that. to the future and that's like crazy to me i want to go yeah. see a movie like that one day yeah well, you guys get out here we'll see what's out yeah Hell yeah um so let's delve into the plot of this film mm-hmm. so this follows a um, at the very, it's it's got a frame narrative. So at the very beginning, you meet our main character. Someone remind me of his name. I don't Francis. know if they. Yeah, I think it's like Francis or something. It's like they mention it once or something, but I don't remember what it is. I'm gonna double check. I'm looking it up. Francis. Yep. Francis. Okay. So we meet our protagonist, Francis, and he's sitting on a bench with this random old man and he's like hey let me tell you a horrifying story of something that happened to me and there's a woman kind of wandering around and he's like that's my fiance and we've both been scarred for life by these events that i'm about to tell you about (laughs) so he starts telling the story about a character named dr caligari who comes to a small town to participate in a traveling carnival and you follow caligari like he has to get a permit for his act in the carnival and the guy who gives him the permit is like kind of rude and snarky to him. <laughs> and later that guy winds up dead. Wow. I wonder who could have done it. <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> so, um, meanwhile, Francis and his best friend are headed to the carnival. They're both interested in this woman and they both agree, like, hey, we're both going to try to pursue her, and whoever she picks will still be friends, always. Um, 
I hope she picked nobody, but that wasn't the case. <laughs> that was kind of, that thought came to my mind. I was like, but what if she picks neither of you? Yeah. Right. Well, so, my thought was like, since I was believing the framing device, because um, I had forgotten how this film ends, I was like, oh, I wonder who she'll pick. Mm-hmm. Then bam, yeah, pull, yeah. pull the facts yeah. out of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Caligari's performance is he has a somnambulist somnambulist that is always so hard for me to say yeah anything Um, that has to do with like sleep the word is always fucked up because of the it's an m and then an (laughs) n and then whatever comes after that that so So somnambulist which means he's a sleepwalker yeah and his name is cesare cesare and Caligari tells the story of like, yeah, he was born and he's 23 years old and he slept his entire life. He just sleeps all the time, but I can control him in his sleep and I can help him wake up. So he opens up this big box and a cabinet, if you will, mm-hmm. and Tresari wakes from his sleep and um, Caligari encourages the audience to ask him questions. He knows the answer to any question. So Francis's friend is like, okay, tell me when I'll die. And Shaysari says, you will die before the break of dawn. And his uh, reaction scary thing to is hear. one of my favorite performances in the film. Because at first he's, he's like very He's like really he starts, scared. But then he starts, he starts laughing. laughing really weird. Yeah, it's <laughs> this. Well, and, and like, I totally kind of understand what it means. Because it's like. Of course I'm gonna die, and then, like, it happens so soon, and you're like, wow, this thing that's inevitable, but I didn't expect it to be. You never expect the inevitable, if it, if that makes sense. And it feels like this perfect Nobody representation ins- of what the expects. country has been going through after seeing so much death. It's just, like, this, this yeah. borderline madness and fear combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, his face, he, like, looks worried as shit, but he's still laughing, like, oh, you can't be serious, and then he's, like, still laughing, and he's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) It's like he doesn't know whether to believe it or not, but he's, like, scared at the, like, and, like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Also, I just want to throw this out there. Um, If the name Cesare sounds familiar to you, and you watch a lot of YouTube series, um... This this character heavily inspired Cesare from Big Top Burger. Um, so, there you go. It is a very cool name. Yes. <laughs> so, that later that night, um, the friend is sleeping in his room when, sure enough, someone breaks in and stabs him. And I love the way this is filmed, mm-hmm. because you only see the, the shadows. shadows of it on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is excellent. Yeah, and this is and so, one of those of course, things I was talking about where, like, when the action happens, it is so incredibly striking, fast, and violent, mm-hmm. as opposed to the rest of this film, which is very creeping, is how I would describe it. Creeps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and they don't even really show you, like, they don't show you the violence that goes on, but they do, like, in the in the shadow work, it, it's, like, fast and, like, very, uh, it, it's an attack. It, it looks like an attack, and mm-hmm. they, they, they made it look so good. <laughs> yes. Um... So the police begin investigating, and they do go to Dr. Caligari and ask him a lot of questions. They're kind of suspicious of him. Mm-hmm. But then this other guy is caught trying, attempting to murder a woman, and so they're like, oh, this must be the murderer. Mm-hmm. But the guy is like, no, it wasn't me. Like He's like, yeah, I did try to kill this woman, but I was hoping to use the other two murders as, like, a scapegoat and like so that this murder would get pinned on that murderer and he's like Side I note that doesn't have do well anything to do with how anything. the turntables yeah but side note that doesn't have anything to do with anything other than me being pedantic i want to know what beef this guy had with this old lady <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was curious about that too like did she yell at so him did she this... kick him out did he do something i want to know who knows yeah so we have this kind of, like, red herring, um, and then, uh, Chesare wakes, like, the, he's still being monitored by the police, mm-hmm. um, 
but he manages to sneak out anyway, and he goes and attacks the lady. One of my favorite shots is, like, when the police show up and they're, like, suspicious of Dr. Caligari, um... He he has, like, opened this trunk that he's keeping Cesare in, and, like, he tilts him upwards and is, like, feeding him slop. Yes! That's <laughs> yeah, so funny. Uh, my boy, it's so my precious silly. boy. And then they, like, and then, like, the cops knock on the door and he just kind of, like, throws him back in the chest and then opens the door. Yeah, if yeah. from Chesare's uh, perspective, this is either the most horrifying thing you've ever seen or the most weekend at Bernie's shit you could imagine. <laughs> okay, the thing is, like, if I feel so bad for Chesare because he's been asleep for 23 years, I don't even know if he's technically awake when he opens his eyes. Um, yeah. And that was something and... that fascinated me when he attacks the woman because it's the first time you really see him awake and active and Mm -hmm. just this this kind of i don't know if carnality is the word or just he looks Mm -hmm. like he just wants to see what would happen like if he does these things because at first he's gonna stab her but then he's like no i'm not gonna stab her and then he like chokes her and then drags her away and it's like it's such a fascinating idea to me of someone who has never really lived not really knowing what to do when he has that opportunity. Like, he's faced with someone mm-hmm. who Dr. Caligari kind of brought him to Cesare and kind of, like, spooked her, and that's what got him to follow her home. And it's he's just such yeah, a there's fascinating something very, character. There's mm-hmm. something very animal about Cesare and, and just, like, the way that he moves and things. And he is not quite human and i think like part of the reason why that is is just like well first off it's creepy second off like like if you're 23 years old and you haven't like basically lived a single day of your life and you like what if he he's awake and he thinks he's dreaming like uh, like all of this is so like uh the 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 blurred lines between the waking and dreaming world. Yeah. Uh, let me throw uh, my big... whiskey while I contemplate it. That was a very popular um, topic of study during this time period, yes. too. I mean, like Freud and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff was very influential at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another like thematic thing that uh, I'll get into after we finish doing the synopsis that I think is kind of an interesting interpretation of this movie. Yeah. But, um, anyway, yeah, so Chisari tries to abduct Jane, and- Don't we find out that she's- Okay, okay, I don't know if I interpreted this wrong, but isn't she, like, the daughter of the guy who's, like, thrown in prison? That's what I thought, um, but I don't know yeah. if it's confirmed. Yeah. I, I think she was the daughter of the guy who got killed, the clerk guy who got killed. Okay, okay. I think. That makes sense why she was um, real upset when they told her. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, um, he fails to carry her off because he starts getting chased by a mob, so he drops her and runs away. And then the mm-hmm. police realize that what they thought was Chisare still in the cabinet is actually just a dummy. Yeah. Um, so they start trying to chase down Dr. Caligari and come to find out he is actually the director of an asylum. Yep. And Chisari was one of his patients who he wants to perform these experiments with. And basically he's just using one of his patients as a way to murder people just to <laughs> see what would happen. Yeah. Uh not very much motivation for him. There's not a lot of motivation, but also, like, sometimes no motivation besides curiosity and madness is enough. Yeah. No, I, I do. For power I think that that's... Knowledge. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's a perfectly good explanation. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fits the theme of this film. Yeah. Um, yeah, and especially so kind of seeing to- his... Um, mental deterioration when you see him kind of figure out he can do these things and the name dr caligari appears everywhere because i think it's based on an old 
story from way before their time where he tried to do the same thing so he adopted that name to kind of yeah so he found Mm -hmm. i think he found this book where they were talking about like the like this guy named dr caligari who had a um guy in a box named chesare and he was just like oh well i have this guy over here why don't i just call myself dr caligari and and him chesare and then i'm pin it on some dumb book fairy tale i wrote he <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so we return to the frame narrative and the uh, there's a twist ending it turns out oh yeah um so it turns out that francis is actually a patient in the asylum and mm-hmm. he's just making up this story and all the characters are also patients in the asylum and except for dr caligari who is the asylum's director but isn't insane and it's actually francis and that's the end of the movie i, I do want to say really quick um there are two slaves yes. here one when they turn to jane and he's like can we get married jane and she's like a queen must not attend to fancies and i was like yes ma'am you turn him down <laughs> yes and ma'am peace i love you um mm-hmm. and then when he they like there's chasare and he's the somnambulist who murdered and he's just like picking flowers he's just living his life and i'm like that's just well. that's just a goth dude who's like smoking a <laughs> cigarette outside yeah <laughs> the closest um, thing you could get to murder from him is he like subjects you to his poetry and you know what based on his appearance i think he would write some pretty fire poetry i, I bet he would i bet he would too yeah i mean like the this movie i would assume has um had some kind of like influence on the fashion of goths oh so. 100,000%. <laughs> oh god yes yeah so in regards to the ending i have to say i am not a fan of this twist and it was basically tacked on by the studio like the original writers didn't want i to ca- end that way i kind of like it because i don't believe that it's like what they're showing us i think that he's he's still dr caligari and like this guy got put in this Mm. asylum and he's telling the truth and nobody believes him that's an interesting way to look at it. yeah i think to me it's interesting because it broadens the world a bit but it also makes the world smaller because once you realize the -hmm. events were coming from the perspective of one person a lot of the um the style and aesthetic. It is a kind of creepy pasta ending. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like this was before creepy pasta ending, so I kind of give it a little credit. And I do kind of like this yeah. idea that every single person in this um asylum has their own version of the Dr. Caligari story, their own narratives that they're writing mm-hmm. in their head. And it makes me wonder what those yeah. narratives are. And I kind of love that idea. But also, I agree, Kai, I do find it kind of cheap when people are like, and it was all a dream. And well, he's, guess- he's crazy and he dreamed it all <laughs> up. Well, I um, automatically just believe the crazy person, I guess, because I was watching this. And I was like, no, it's got to be real. And these people are like, you know, like treating him like he's crazy because he's telling the truth (laughs) i do love that interpretation a lot yeah and i think that i guess that twist does make sense from like a style perspective because the movie is so stylized and subjective and like it's you know you could see it as being from this guy's point of view yeah it's it's like his dream warped and twisted yeah i think that side of things is interesting but I do feel kind of bad for the original writers being mm-hmm. like, no, we yeah. didn't want it to end this way. Yeah. Um. So there is a lot of like, it's tough to find information about the making of this movie and about the reception of it. Because it, now that it's a classic, it's a lot of those stories have been embellished so like mm-hmm. there are t- you know like pe- some people will say like oh yeah like women fainted when they watched this and it's like it's like know. everyone running out of the theater yeah. watching the train video i don't know if that's true or, i think a lot i was of gonna say is it because ac hadn't been invented yet and those hot fucking rooms <laughs> with those like 100 degree equipment 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's probably likely. Also, side note, but one of my favorite things from this time period is, like, there were PSAs showed in the theater telling women, like, please remove your hats. And, like, they would make, like... <laughs> comedy sketches because you know women wore like those massive hats back yeah. then and it's like you're blocking people's view take off your hats <laughs> <laughs> and i just think that's very funny yeah that they had to have like whole psas telling women to take off their hats so that people could oh see my God. Mm-hmm. listen working in the theater uh, i believe it yeah yeah so but one of the things that the writers said that i do definitely believe is they were influenced by world war one and so opinions differ about the theme of this movie but i think a lot of people view it as like a commentary on authority Mm -hmm. and you could kind of see caligari as like a stand-in for authority or the state or whoever is in power and um, he's controlling Cesare who just kind of follows his every instruction and is Mm -hmm. asleep and like he doesn't realize that he's doing it yeah Mm -hmm. and that this is kind of an ominous warning of things to come especially knowing what happened in Germany Mm -hmm. years after this film came out so I think that that's definitely a very valid interpretation um, which does also make me matter like, about the ending when it goes like against that whole theme of like oh but it's okay he's not yeah. really a bad authority figure so i i kind of see the frustration with that ending a bit more from that reading and and see having this and then my interpretation i'm like yeah it yeah. makes more well, sense because, now <laughs> yeah it's like caligari you know even as the asylum director is a position of authority and like Mm -hmm. we know about the horrible history of asylums and how terribly Mm -hmm. people were treated there so like Mm -hmm. even if caligari is not a murderer um i still don't trust him yeah because i just inherently don't trust the director of an asylum yeah Mm -hmm. because especially in the 1920s like i just don't think that they often had very good um, methods of no, there was a lot of uh, psychological experimentation during this time period, and a lot of people got fucked up over it. So yeah, well, so, that's kind of something ugh. I wish they had added with this framing device, because like you see him make a very like cryptic comment of like he thinks I'm Doctor Caligari. Now I know how to treat him, and I'm like, what? What does that mean? And like, well, that's what I. Me- that's why I had that like thought of like oh he's covering some shit up like because that's so cryptic mm-hmm. he's gotta so, be yeah, pulling just, some shit absolutely and he probably is and this just might be my my wish i wish i could have seen some of that within the the framing device Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. look at me criticizing this fucking pillar of the horror <laughs> fucking genre <laughs> Hey, I mean, everything hey. can be criticized, you know. Everything gets a 9 out of 10 because there's always room for improvement. <laughs> well, and it's wild to but, me how I mean, often again, this was... seemed to happen. Like, this happened to the, the Freaks movie that was released in um, America a couple years later. And I believe Dracula went into some heavy edits. Um, so it's just fascinating seeing what um, the filmmakers of the time thought the public was capable of digesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there there was a lot of hysteria, and this happens every time a new art form gets introduced. Like, before this, people were freaking out about detective novels and how they were going to inspire everyone to go murder people. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the, the genre, of, like, or just the medium of film in general inspired a lot of hysteria and people complaining there's too much sex and violence, and this is going to make our whole society into monsters who are desensitized to murder. Well, movies don't make psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. That's true. (laughs) But, um... (laughs) Yeah, you still hear this today. I mean, you know, whether it's horror movies or metal music or Dungeons and Dragons or video games. Yeah, TikTok. They always want to blame violence on, oh, it's this, it's these video games it's just shit that they don't like because they can't control it yeah and and a lot of times and i think especially horror media is very subversive Mm -hmm. and it criticizes aspects of society because 
I think that fear is just a universal emotion. Mm-hmm. And when you deal with the topic of fear, you're tapping into some really deep-seated beliefs and emotions that people have. And mm-hmm. I think that that's why horror in particular gets criticized so much, because it's bringing out all these ugly feelings that maybe people don't want to confront or aren't ready for. Yeah. And I think it's also just easier to blame society's problems on media instead of actually taking the time to think about why like some of the social systems that are in place that enable Mm -hmm. violence and horrible things to happen. Yeah. Yeah, well, and it's such an interesting thing to me because I feel like repression is such a cause of so many of our issues. And, like, horror is a way for a lot of people who don't have any say in these big conversations like war and poverty to have an outlet to speak on the fear of that. And I feel like a lot of people think if we don't talk about it at all, then it doesn't exist. Rather than, no, it will still exist And this is a way for us to see it and process it and understand it in a way. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, it actually makes me think of uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, Strange Aeons, recently put out a video uh, about Slenderman. And it's an amazing video. It's called How Slenderman Became Real. And she talks about, like the origins of how the Slenderman story got started and then how quickly it spread and how people became obsessed with it. And then of course the tragic stabbing that happened. And then that caused this hysteria where parents were freaking out being like, Oh my gosh, like this internet story is inspiring people to go on murder sprees, but they didn't actually look into what happened. So the two girls who committed the stabbing um i know at least one of them had been diagnosed with schizophrenia but not treated so she was literally like she was having delusions of of slender man that was going untreated because our mental health care system in america is broken uh but instead of looking at all of the ways that our mental health care system does not work, people instead thought it was simpler just to be like, oh, the internet caused this, obviously. Take away your kid's iPad, problem solved. Instead of actually delving into that deeper Mm -hmm. issue. Because, I mean... They definitely did not look into all the factors and then just went for the easiest solution. Yeah, or you see that again Mm -hmm. with, like, the Momo challenge from a few Mm -hmm. years ago that people were freaking out, like, oh my gosh, your kids are gonna all go and try to kill themselves because of Momo told them to. And it's like, well, no. But if there are, like, like teen suicide, yeah, that is an issue. Um, but it's caused by a lot more complex problems than an internet meme. Yeah. Right. Well, and I remember having a conversation about, like, um, is it ethical to put children in horror movies And kind of in a similar conversation of, is it okay to expose these ideas to young people? And I think if you give them the space to ask questions in a judgment-free environment, yes. Because, like, if you see behind the scenes of films like Insidious, where the director will take the time to, like, get down to their level and explain and show them the process of how things are made, it allows them to understand this fear rather than going into it with no understanding, no concept of what's going on around them. So... If they were allowed to, if we're allowed to exist with these things that help us process, even if they are scary, we still need to have an open dialogue and talk about it in a way that's not just don't talk about it or don't do this thing. Like, it has to be mm-hmm. like, well, how do they make this thing? What what goes into it? Um, let's, let's sit down and talk about it. Because, like, completely banning it is obviously not solving the problem at all. It just it's ma- lets people if... still do it with less understanding. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if withholding information from the people just hurts them more than it does help them. Mm-hmm. Well, Kyle, it's almost like you're roasted. going to uh, uh, education <laughs> to like share information with the public and help uh, preserve it in some sort of uh, <laughs> yeah. academic environment. Yeah. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I think that just the entire history of this film is really interesting because, again, like there's not very much accurate information about how it was received at the time it came out. I assume it was probably pretty popular because it was one, it was one of the first German films to be um, exported to America after, like, of course, during World War One, there was a ban on like German films weren't allowed to be shown in America, but then. Mm-hmm. By the 1920s, they were able to start sending some films to be distributed in America. So this was sent there, which was a big deal. And then mm-hmm. um, just the fact that this film survived, I think, means that it must have been screened a lot or been culturally relevant mm-hmm. because not very many films from this time period have survived. Um, but either way, it really started I think, receiving a huge amount of critical acclaim in the 1950s when a lot of people looked back and they were like wow like this film was so influential and a lot of film critics started kind of dissecting it and looking in deeper into the themes I think especially with the hindsight of cultural context like knowing what happened with World War II and everything after this movie came out that kind of helps influence our view of its themes in retrospect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah that, that that's my nerdy tangent on the film history side of things yeah oh god this movie is so fascinating from like every angle because we have had so much time to see its influence and its impact mm-hmm. and like the benefit of like knowing the cultural context surrounding world war ii but just imagine when this was coming out and just seeing this for the first time. What a trip. What a treat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. It yeah. must've been incredible because no one had ever seen anything like this at the time. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Like, like for real, they have never seen anything like that. Like the, the artistic stylings of this are just so unique. And I don't, I don't think we, see more of that until later like 60s at the earliest like they go back to this kind of style um yeah it's kind of disheartening because i remember and i apologize to anyone who knows more than me about this subject but we were watching uh film history and around the time that the nazis took over all of the visionary filmmakers usually left because they they had jewish ties or jewish heritage and then a lot mm-hmm. of the creativity came to America, whereas Germany kind of regressed in that way to very nationalistic propaganda style of filmmaking rather than like creative expressionism from an emotional standpoint. And it's it's mm-hmm. not only a loss of culture, a loss of life, um, it's a loss of artist- artistic potential. And there was just so much pain going on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is... It is really disheartening. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when when totalitarian regimes take over and the, a lot of art gets destroyed. Both art that already exists, because the Nazis did love burning and destroying art and books, um, but also like the potential art that could have been made. Like I yeah. always think about like mm-hmm. the millions of people who died in the Holocaust and like, wow, what if some of them had lived and created such amazing art or created amazing medical or scientific innovations. That oh, the I, I think about that see. all the time because in Germany, there was a lot of research going into like, uh, like transgender studies and like um, the Nazis fucking burned all of that shit. And mm-hmm. like, I wonder just how accepted it would have been had that not happened. Yeah. And so it's mm-hmm. it's just sad. I mean, anytime there's such a massive loss of life, then that's not only a loss of someone's life, but it's a loss of potential of mm-hmm. like what kinds of things could these people have gone on to create that the world will never know. Yeah. And that's just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so fascinating to see the moments just before they they toppled over the precipice where there was so many questions being asked and so much processing that was happening and this film is is truly magnificent and just i love how many shots just linger 
or I love that silent films, I forgot if how they did this, but like there are sometimes there's dialogue happening and there are no text screens. You just, you kind of have to infer mm-hmm. from their expression what they are saying and what they are doing. And it's, it's so much, it feels so much more active than I'm used to. Cause like I have to fill in the gaps. Like I get the important information, nothing is left behind, but like the in-between moments, the characterizations, like I get to participate in and it's, it's so fascinating. I enjoy the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I I I don't know how many people, especially our age, have seen a silent film. It's hard for me to gauge if that's normal or not because like, you know, we've all went to film yeah. school, so of course we've yeah. seen silent films, but if anyone out there has not seen a silent film, I recommend it. I think it's just a really great experience and it will take you out of your comfort zone and let you appreciate art from a different way mm-hmm. than we do now. And I think that a lot of these silent films still really hold up. So this one is one of my absolute favorites. Um, Metropolis is another of my favorites. It's also German expressionist. And like, personally, I consider Metropolis to be like the peak of silent cinema. It's yeah. just such a mm-hmm. gorgeous film. Um, Sunrise, which is by F.W. Murnau, who also directed Nosferatu, which is another good one, if especially you're, if you're interested okay. in horror. If you're looking for something deeply disturbing from this time period, Unchin Andalou is really good. Yeah, that is a really good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just like the way that they, so the whole thing is done with like cutting the film. And so like what is happening is not necessarily happening to uh, the subject in the film. It's a, it's like a cutaway um, to something else, but it it's, it's it gives you such a visceral reaction to what's happening in there. Um, don't watch it if you're uh, if you're really squeaky on eye trauma. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just I can't recommend enough going mm-hmm. to either watch this movie or another silent film from this time period. Yeah. Yeah, and it helps you kind of contextualize some of the cornerstones of culture we have today like you get to see the influences on um like janelle monet has some very strong aesthetic ties to metropolis um again tim burton has very strong aesthetic ties to this hell even just a couple years ago the best picture winner was like a silent film that was kind of an imitation of these old dramas and horrors and things like that Mm -hmm. so it just gives you a little more understanding of how we got where we are. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Oh, and I will say, actually, I did, I looked up this movie on Tumblr just out of curiosity, and there is a modern fan base for it. Like, there were people doing fan art of Cesare and, like, talking about the characters mm-hmm. as if they're talking about, like, characters from Supernatural or Doctor <laughs> Who, which is very fun, and that makes me really happy. And I've yeah. seen that, I've seen that a lot, too, with Dracula this past year because of Dracula Daily and um, Re-Dracula, which is like an audio drama adaptation mm-hmm. of Dracula. And like people in Tumblr have gotten so into this. And I love that. I'm like, that's so cool that this piece of media that's over 100 years old still has such a following today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, I, I would say watch watch more silent movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, advocate against one. genocide. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Free Palestine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed. Let us not repeat the mistakes of the past. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I would love if someone could like inform me on this too. One downside of silent films. And I would love to see, like, if there are any independent artists or artists who were kept out of the limelight at this time, is it is, from my understanding, just because, again, there is a lot of just white people in these movies, and mm-hmm. I personally, this is something I need to do, and I want to seek out more um, silent films starring people of color, or that tell those different stories. Oh, yeah. Um, I, mm-hmm. that, that's just something that got there me thinking. There are so, like, I'm... There are probably so many silent films out there that 
like nobody has ever gotten to see because they've gotten destroyed like that. Um, yeah. And it, that uh, pisses me off and I would like to see them, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe that yeah. can be something show, we look up. Like if there's anyone me. who who knows of any, because there had to be some there. I refuse to believe there weren't any. Oh, for sure. Well, especially mm-hmm. during World War One, actually, because a lot of the white men were sent off to the war. Um, a lot of women directors took over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And same during World War Two as well. And so I wouldn't be shocked if there were some people of color involved that just have gotten forcibly erased from history. Mm-hmm. I will say, like, this, this time period a lot of filmmakers were Jewish. Like, Jewish people basically mm-hmm. built the film industry and then later kind of got forcibly pushed out and erased mm-hmm. because that's how things in our society work. And anti-Semitism was extremely strong even in the United States during World War II. It wasn't just Germany. The United States had a huge problem with that kind of discrimination I mean, they, as well. they, I was going to say, when we're doing States so great right br- now. <laughs> the, yeah. the United States uh, during that time period actually refused to bring in refugees from Germany. So yeah. that, that should tell you a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories about, like, Jewish people controlling Hollywood, ah, and people mm-hmm. freaking out about stuff like that yeah and, um yeah it's not this film is I it mean, also you know, it feels i reductive with... to be like wow that's not good but it's i mean it's I not mean, and you know what else can you say about it it's not fucking good <laughs> and i think that's why this film is so is studied so much in film school is because it does open these topics not only to film history but like history history and it is important to talk Mm -hmm. about those things even if you don't have a solid answer or reason because i don't think this film has a solid answer or reason sometimes Mm -hmm. you're you're experiencing it and you just kind of got trying to understand what you can Mm -hmm. well this this movie in particular is so like it's abstract because you at the end you're unsure if everything that you watched was a dream or not (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. all you're left with is this kind of sense of like vague confusion and mistrust and a little bit of fear Mm -hmm. and um if that ain't relatable to current times i don't fucking know what is yeah Um, yeah would you guys have any last thoughts before we wrap things up Study film. Study history. Study film history. Do it. It's good for your soul. It is. It really is. I agree. I think Marty said it best. Well, thank you to everyone for tuning in. Thank you, of course, to Hannah and Marty for everything. You don't need to thank me. I'm just here. Thank you, Kyla, for editing this thing. And thank you for pitching this movie. Like, dang. I'm really glad we got an opportunity to talk about this. Yeah, this is a good one. And uh, if people want to keep up with us, you can find us on social media at Chainsaw Matinee. Pretty much any social media. We're on Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, Instagram. So check us check us out keep updated and uh we do have a patreon if you feel so kind throw us a couple dollars yeah we need the money to keep this show going yeah mama's gotta eat and thank you (laughs) and thanks to all of our current patrons we appreciate each and every one of you hell yeah thanks for keeping mama fed um, we, we are also diving into um, films like these that we normally uh, wouldn't because of the SAG strike that is still going on. Um, the writer's strike has concluded, but the actor's strike is still going strong. Um, when that will end, we, mm-hmm. we don't know, but we stand by the actors, of course. They, they deserve rights and they deserve protections and 
we pray that they get mm-hmm. what they need. And studio executives, yeah, give them give them what they deserve, which is everything they are yeah. asking for. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. So we solidarity we stand with the actors, and hopefully that will be resolved soon. But until then, we do have some fun plans um, for covering some more analog horror. Mm-hmm. So yeah. stay tuned. We've got some exciting stuff in development, and as always, take care. And may your nightmares be plentiful. Plenty full of um, cabinets. And also maybe set maybe also set an alarm clock so that you know that when you're not dreaming. <laughs>